Hello and welcome to another episode of The Genius Podcast. My name is Karen Doyle, your host and founder of The Genius Project, an initiative for Catholic women designed to resource and support you towards growth in all areas of your life, personal, spiritual and professional. We seek to do this through The Genius Podcast, the Catholic Women's Masterclass, our Catholic coaching programs for women, our online courses and The Genius Academy. If you would like to find out about any of these initiatives, please visit our website, www.geniusproject.co. Before we get into this week's episode of the Genius Podcast, I'd just like to draw your attention to the fact that the doors are now open for the Catholic Women's Masterclass. This is a four-month journey of transformation where we explore four key rhythms of renewal that will see you living a life of balance and wholeness in Christ. The registration for the Catholic Women's Masterclass covers eight modules, video content, fortnightly group coaching sessions, and a comprehensive workbook and practical application tasks so that you can take what you're learning and apply it to your life to bring about lasting transformation. If you would like to register or inquire about the masterclass, please send me an email at karen at geniusproject.co. You can also find out more on our website, www.geniusproject.co. On today's episode of the Genius Podcast, I am interviewing Kristen Barr. Kristen has a teaching degree and her master's in theology, but she's most well known for her YouTube channel, Dear Kristen, where she explores creatively the 16 different personality types in the Myers-Briggs assessment tool. In this conversation, we are going to unpack what the Myers-Briggs personality test is and how you can benefit from understanding the unique way in which you have been created and how this can help you in your key relationships in life. So ladies, sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Kristen. Well, welcome Kristen to the Genius Podcast. It's wonderful to have you joining us from Sydney today. So thank you for being with us. No, thank you for inviting me. This is awesome. I'm excited to be here. Well, we've had a few laughs before pressing record, so my face is already <laughs> the muscles. So, they're muscles. Yeah. So I think, uh, yes, last week's episode was a bit deep, and you know we're looking at healing and restoration in Christ, mm. and and this will segue into what we're going to talk about today. But the listeners can be prepared for a, a few laughs and some amusement. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Good. And I've been very much looking forward to this conversation with you. My husband, Jonathan, is a big fan of your work. You have a <sighs> YouTube channel, Dear Kristen, and I think you've got almost 40,000 subscribers now, don't you? Yeah, it's somewhere up there now, which is yeah. awesome. Praise be, praise be to God. Yeah, well, it's great. Jonathan is such a junkie of what you do. He goes through your videos to find your portrayal of his particular personality. <laughs> And we all have a good laugh. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> uh, it provides a lot of amusement and entertainment. Last mm-hmm. year, we were in lockdown for three months during the lockdowns. Mm-hmm. And I was walking with a friend. We had our hour of exercise and she actually showed me your channel. And really? she just randomly come across it. And it was the one about, you did about all the different 16 personalities encountering a rainy day. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it was quite funny. I came home and I showed Jonathan. We're like, oh, that's you. That's me. That's Stephanie. That's all of our other kids. And so then we showed it to them at the dinner table. And it was hilarious because instantly they're like, that's dad. Or that's 
That's you, mum. How funny because in that video, the ISTJ is just an absolute meme. Like they just put on the goggles and go outside with goggles to the rain. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I mean, I'm glad that someone could relate to that. Oh, it's just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> quite, quite funny. But yeah. It's very creative what you've done. And for the listeners who obviously aren't familiar with your work, could you just give us a really quick synopsis of what your Dear Christian channel is all about? Yeah, sure. Well, um, Dear Kristen is my YouTube channel, um, which is ba- which is based on essentially creating comedy sketches to do with the 16 personality types. I take them, I put them in various different situations. I especially like to have them interacting in this in the shot because I like to point out uh, the different nuances to communication styles and potential miscommunications that these types could have, which um, stipulates that they are the mental steps that they're taking to get to the behavior are different from one another, but not that they are incompatible, which is something I really try to uh, plug on my channel. I really try to um, uh, illustrate the idea that you do not have to be boxed in by these personality types. And Myers-Briggs is a great tool for coming to understand each other's differences, inherent cognitive differences and the steps we take to get there and how we perceive and judge the world differently and to extend grace to each other and to extend understanding in coming to love each other better. So although it's mainly a comedic lens that I take on the types, I also upload um, some more uh, values-based content where I really go into. I've actually started this year to (laughs) upload videos that are even not to do with the 16 personalities, um, which I upload one video every first Friday of the month where I talk about an issue that's important to me, something to do with um, being a good person, growth, self-development, psychological understanding of each other, communication styles, those kinds of things. So it's mostly comedic, but I try to bring in um, a, a really strong idea of not judging each other, understanding each other, and really growing in that self-development and that virtue, which is something that has been so essential in my life in the growth and the journey that I've done so I just want to encourage others to look at um Myers-Briggs through that lens as well yeah absolutely because I think the danger that we can run into when we get into personality types and everything is boxing people so we can box ourselves which limits our own growth but we can Mm -hmm. box other people and sometimes I mean there's a lot of arrogance and pride when we judge and place other people in a box when we don't actually know their full story and I, I think the beauty of the Myers-Briggs tool and what you're doing is it's inviting us to see all the different beautiful, wonderful creations that God has. Like he's made all of us very different, but in his image and likeness. And there's a lot of, there's good in all of us. But we also have to understand there's that redeemed and unredeemed side. The strength and weakness comes with mm. each personality. And I think it's great when we can understand ourselves because it does help us understand our limitations so that we can work on those with God's grace, not to be perfect, but so that we can grow in virtue and grace and be more of who he wants us to be. But also that, as you mentioned, we can give grace and offer grace to other people. So when we encounter someone who's completely different to us, instead of judging them and getting angry with them, we can seek to understand them. And I Mm -hmm. think so much of the time we do a lot of relationships education and we see this in marriages that are sort of hitting rocky ground is just they get very rigid in he or she is not like me and they won't think like me. And I think when we get into that sort of territory, we're in dangerous territory 
because mm-hmm. we really need to seek to understand first before we judge. So I'm loving your work. I'm loving what you do. You're very creative. Oh, thank I'm, you. I'm interested before we deep dive into it, out of all the things you could be doing with your time, like you could be an accountant, you could be a teacher, <laughs> you could be a shop assistant. <laughs> like I'm really interested why this, like what drew you to this area? What animates you about this particular area? Yep. Good question. Good question. Um, well, I've had an interesting trajectory in my life of different things that I do. I actually do have a teaching degree. I do have um, a theology degree as well. Uh, and I finished that a couple of years ago. And it was around that time where I kind of didn't know where my life was heading and what trajectory it was heading. And I've always been a kind of person who kind of just wants to try a whole bunch of things. Um, but I just have this heart for relationships and people and understanding. And that comes a lot from my own journey I had time where I sort of was away from the faith and came back to the faith and a huge a huge um a huge point of that in my life was that I came to understand that I had inherent blind spots or inherent flaws um, or weaknesses or vices that were getting in the way of me understanding people getting in the way of my relationships and in coming in um in the Lord humbling me through that I came to a point where I was so dependent on him finally for the first time in my life that I was able to um, really, really start to pray for grace to get through these. I mean, just to backtrack, I basically hit like this really, you know, rock bottom point in my life where I was sort of not really praying, was away from the faith, was kind of just looking at the world through a me, me, me lens. And um my sister, God bless her, uh, gave me the advice to pray for grace. And I started doing that. And the Lord slowly uh, uh, worked in my life and gave me the grace to have that um, that uh, understanding of others, understanding of myself, extending grace to myself and others. My self-worth started to come back. Mm. I summarized that extremely briefly. There's no. a lot of nuance there, obviously. And so in coming basically in essence to understand how my own uh, vices and weaknesses were getting in the way of me living a good life and a good good Christian relationships and a good understanding of God and then being devoted to actually working on myself saying hey this isn't going to get better unless I do the work so I started going to therapy I started introspecting I started journaling I started praying to the Lord everything changed for me and my life got just so much more full because I had the love of God and I was suddenly changing my priorities to relationships, healthy relationships. And it was such a just visceral, amazing change in my life that I was like, you know, I want to, I want to spread this message. This is the message I want to like spread about people understanding each other and that you don't have to box yourself in. And you are, you know, you do have those inherent weaknesses in your personality and those inherent blind spots, which Myers-Briggs can help us to understand, of course. Um, but we also understand fundamentally through grace and through prayer. And you can overcome those in the sense that you can acknowledge, hey, of course I'm not perfect, right? That's true humility. Of course I fall. Of course I sin. Of course I'm not perfect. Of course I have blind spots. But I do have strengths as well, inherent strengths, and I can give those to others. And that's what counts and that's what matters. So basically going through, long story short, to bring that home to a, to a conclusion. We want to hear your story. Yeah. To bring it home to a conclusion, I was like, yep. When I discovered this tool and it it made me, as you say, understand others, extend grace to others, but also to myself, that was fundamental. That was huge. Understanding things about my personality, which, um, which you know, there are certain things that I couldn't explain just 
just by themselves with my own personal brand of nurture, the environment I grew up, I was like, why am I so different from these people in, in these ways? But understanding this tool and the inherent um, cognitive functions, which we, we may go into, and the blind spots, I was able to be like, oh, so many things make sense now. And in learning that about myself, it was it did the opposite of limit me because I think Myers-Briggs, what it can do if people use it incorrectly is to say, oh, because I'm, you know, X type, because I'm this type, I'm always going to be bad at this thing. I'm always going to be weak in this area. So I might as well just accept my fate. It's like, no, no, no. This is good for understanding where your weaknesses are, but you're not boxed in by those things because you're capable of still, you know, um, using all of those other functions um, that you have like in your, uh, I don't want to get into the terminology so early, but no, no, no. <laughs> it's so true. And I think you pick up on a really important point, which I know my husband, Jonathan, he did my Briggs. He did the Jordan Peterson personality test, the Clifton strengths. He had an intensive time where he did all of them. And when he looked at it, he was like, oh, <laughs> he was really a bit deflated <laughs> because they highlight some of them, I guess your weaknesses or your areas, we should say for growth. Um, mm. And, but I, I think one thing that he came away from that experience was realizing that the things that he always saw as weaknesses or limitations in his actual personality were actually features. And then it's this invitation then that the Lord gives us to, I guess, explore what those features are and we have to surrender those. So whether it's our gifts and our strengths, we have to surrender them to the Lord. We also have to surrender those features and those things that we feel are limitations and ask mm -hmm. for his grace to come in and I guess it's not really getting to the destination it's who we become in the process of getting mm. to that destination I think mm. these tools are fantastic and they're they're enlightening I think many years ago I did a strengths-based assessment just in terms of business I love business entrepreneurship and all of a sudden it just laid out and I was like whoa that's me <laughs> like <laughs> the first time it was about eight years ago I was like this is explaining who I am this is really, really helpful because it put into words and then it presents to you, I guess, the areas where you might grow, how you might, this might limit you in some situations, but it was so insightful. And so mm. I think looking at these tools, as you've mentioned, is really important. We have to keep mm. it balanced. But when we're Catholics, when we're Christians, we're doing this under the gaze of the Holy Spirit. And I think this is a really important distinction yeah, I'll dive into that in a moment, but I'd love for you just to share with us, I guess, what was a single defining moment or experience that you had that really awakened you to, to the need for this in your life? Oh, this is a question that I feel like <laughs> needs some pondering. <laughs> a single moment, if I'm to distill it to a single moment to realize I needed this in my life. Um, oof. A couple of key events perhaps that might mm. have triggered, I guess, your interest. I think it was particularly where I made, I can think of two different relationships in my life where I made um, some mistakes where it resulted in hurting. In one case, I really hurt the person. And in another case, I literally, I lost that person. She was a dear friend and I lost her um, like we weren't going to be friends. I hurt her that badly. Um, and I think that made me, because I hadn't been aware that a certain behavior of mine was as like certain behavioral patterns that I had in my life. I was just not aware that they were 
even there or that they were problematic in certain ways. I was blind to how they were affecting people in certain ways. And I was like, well, you know, in some of those cases, I was like, you know, I didn't feel like I was doing anything particularly wrong, but I must have missed something there, you know? And so that I think awakened me to the fact of, um, first of all, gosh, I really can do wrong. I am not perfect. I'm not as great as I once thought I was. And second of all, um, like, you know, in, in one of these situations in particular, it was very, I felt a little bit misunderstood because I, I had just been working with the tools I'd been given and with my natural, what I perceived as my natural God-given personality and gifts. And it had just been kind of like used superfluously in a kind of way, or like I was missing a few pieces here and there. Um, and uh, speaking so vaguely without going into specifics here. But, but then I basically was like, wow, we are just, we've just really missed each other there. We really miscommunicated here. And I had, you know, my sister has always been into this. And I think that that when that relation, when those two relationships fails, failed at certain like different points of my life, they were different um, points at which I really decided to turn around and look at things and look at myself and say, okay, I don't want to hurt someone else like that. I don't want to. Um, uh, and these situations were kind of different in that they, they address sort of different vices of mine, different tendencies, my personality. I was like, I just don't want to go through that again. I don't want to hurt someone like that. I'm going to introspect. And I think that was the first time I fully turned around um, and looked at myself in a, in a more honest way. And it really, it really came with using that grace, as you said, that whole grace of, you know, I have my natural strengths, but I also do have my natural weaknesses. That is normal. No one is perfect. No one can use all of these, you know, um, different elements of, uh, cognitive preferences or behavior at the same time perfectly. We have our strengths. Some of us have strengths that we don't have. And it's, you know, as a Catholic, we are all the body of Christ. We are not, we're individuals, of course, but we are working together. We're relational beings. We weren't put on this world alone. We're meant to work with each other to build up the body of Christ, right? To build up, build up the church. Mm. So just because I don't have this certain gift doesn't mean that, you know, I can't work with this other person who has that gift I don't have and really see the beauty in them. And, and God has given those gifts to me in that person for a particular reason as a gift. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the most important things about the faith and about humility as well is understanding that and then being like, okay, I need to be kind to myself and charitable to myself in the process as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because the danger, and I think this is particularly a trap for women, is that self-condemnation. Mm. We see our flaws, then it's like, oh, I'm terrible or I'm an awful person. And that is a real temptation of the enemy to lead us towards self-loathing and I guess that doubting God's forgiveness, doubting that God can actually restore and redeem the broken and the weaker parts of our personality. And 100%. he can do that. Mm -hmm. You made the point that you got to work, you know, on yourself. You went to therapy and you started to journal. You started to take action. I think this is another really important point that when we do become aware of areas in our life that need the redemption of Christ, it's not about sitting back and saying, dear God, change me. <laughs> mm -hmm. and then not doing anything to cooperate yep. with his grace. St. Mm -hmm. Augustine said, he who created you without your cooperation, he's not going to save you without your cooperation. And so we need to be active participants in this journey of transformation. Mm -hmm. and, and that comes through this self-knowledge and this understanding. But 
self-knowledge can be very, very painful. Like it's, it's like looking in the mirror when you wake up, your hair's a mess, <laughs> there's no makeup. Yeah. It's like, oh, is that really me? Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it can be a very painful process. And that's why it's so important to do all of this work under the gaze of the Holy Spirit. And remember mm-hmm. that we're not about this self-obsessing, self-perfecting, like that's very prominent in our culture. But what sets us apart from the culture as Catholics and, and Christ bearers, Christ believers is that we do this with humility. And you touched on that word, which I think is just really beautiful. I'm reminded of St. Teresa of Avila in her interior castle. She speaks about this quality of humility. Now, it's not humility to say, I want to do better. I want to do better. That's actually not true humility. True humility is seeing yourself in the mirror, seeing the blemishes, seeing the ugliness, and then saying, Lord, this is me. I can't. Can you help me? And mm-hmm. asking him into those areas. Yeah. And, yeah, we don't do this work for the sake of bettering ourselves, being the best version we can be. I really hate that term because yeah. it so takes away and, and takes out the grace that God wants to give us. Because honestly, we cannot change. The mm-hmm. older I get, we've just had 21 years of marriage. And, and the more we grow in our marriage and our life and raising our children, Sometimes the further I feel away from this (laughs) ideal of who I always thought I would be. Yeah. That's where true humility comes in, where we really need to come before the Lord and say, I can't, Lord, but you can. Yeah. And the reality, the reality that God doesn't just decide that you're worthy when you're the best version of yourself. Like even when you were doing the, the vices, even when you were your worst self, even when you were, you know, the most sinful in your life, right? You were still worthy when that was happening, right? You are not defined or worthy. God doesn't define you by your vices and your virtue. Of course, we are called to cooperate in, in with grace and be the most virtuous version. Of it. Like seek virtue, seek goodness, truth, and beauty, of course. But we are still fundamentally worthy, worthy despite all this. And our identity comes from nothing other than being a daughter or a child of God being a daughter of Christ, being a son of Christ. That is our identity. That's where our worth comes from. Everything else that we do, that's good. That's just extra. Preach it, preach it. (laughs) It's such an important message though. Such an important Mm. message. And, you know, during Lent, we had Father Kim Barker talk about being the beloved, the beloved child of God, that we, our worth and our value comes from that place, nothing that we do. So very important. Mm -hmm. I'm interested as you're speaking and we're sharing I'm thinking of my many let's call them bathroom mirror moments (laughs) we we look in that mirror and we're like whoa (laughs) one bathroom mirror moment that I had early in our marriage where we Jonathan's an extreme introvert I'm I think the older I get you know the busier life gets I'm becoming more of an omnivert but I was an extrovert And when we first got married, I would be immensely frustrated with him because I didn't understand him, how God had created him. So sometimes in marriage or in relationships and friendships, we seek to change another because we think they need to be more like us for the relationship to work. I've found, and and I know this is true for many people, that when we seek to understand and accept the other, that's where real growth happens and intimacy and relationship and Remember, we went to um, Papua New Guinea, the second year of marriage, we took um, some Maris boys over to 
Mabiri. So they'd had the civil war in Bougainville. There was no law and order on the island and we stayed with these Maris brothers. So a lot of these boys had fought in the civil war and they were coming back to do grade nine when they were 22 years of age after the civil war. And we took four of our year 10 boy students from Cairns over to Bougainville for I think a month it was. It was incredible experience. But there was a brother there and he was the one who actually gave me my bathroom mirror moment of understanding the difference between an extrovert and introvert. And that an introvert, sometimes their behaviour can be perceived as withdrawn or sulky or rude or whatever it is. And that was some of my judgments of my husband at the time. Mm-hmm. When I actually understood that introverts need silence and solitude to recharge, it really changed the the game plan in our marriage because then I was able to give that to Jonathan with grace without sort of pressuring him to be involved in all the social things. So I think that was one, one moment as well for me. Yeah, gosh. Yeah, that's a, that's so important. And I love what you say about the growth that comes with, um, with seeking to understand because then we are challenged. Like, you know, how can everyone in this world be exactly like us and and live up to our standards of how we think people should be? It's through, um, and I I love as well what you said about like relationships really do grow when you do understand, not just because it's you're becoming more virtuous in cooperating with grace in that particular way, but also because the person you are seeking to understand, like whether it be your husband, your friend, your sister, your mum, whatever it is, they have their own particular source of energy fulfillment, their own particular way of perceiving and judging the world. And when they feel loved in that, they feel more free. They feel uh, they feel that your love is more authentic because they you are you are breathing love into those most intricate parts of them that they sometimes probably feel mis- misunderstood for. Mm. So it's it's why I so believe in, in using tools like this to really understand each other. And again, it is just a tool. So of course you can disregard it if it's not helpful. Um, you know, there are there are ways to understand people without the lens of introvert, of extrovert. But yes. yeah, I love what you said about coming to understand your husband a bit more. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's fundamental to introverts is that like their predominant source of feedback and their world is predominantly introverted internal. Um, but I love my briefs because it, it actually stipulates that like you're not you're not either a feeler or a thinker. You're not either a sensor or an intuitor. You actually have access to all of those functions. You just you just have certain preferences. Mm. So you can, you know, uh, you can build on your introversion or your extroversion or those parts of you that, um, again, like it's, it's not a dichotomy. You are, you have these parts of your personality that you can access over time, um, which is great for the faith. It's, that's why I find it so compatible with the faith is because faith prayer is nothing but sitting before God, being in relationship with God, talking to God, just being with him. And if we were to say that extroverts are definitively always going to be extroverts and introverts, always introverts, you would always say, right, well, then introverts are just always going to have a better prayer life with the Lord, right? If it's just sitting, but no, that's not true. There are all these other elements of our personality that we can engage with. There are other ways that we can praise the Lord and worship the Lord. And, um, you know, Myers-Briggs only takes us so far, these kinds of tools do, but when it comes down to it, we, as, as you said, with St. Teresa of Avila, like we look for God ultimately at the center of our soul, which is internal and we can all do that in different ways which is awesome 
Yeah, absolutely. Kristen, I'm wondering if you can deep dive a little bit more into, I guess, how this can help us and I guess the different dimensions to Myers-Briggs because there are many different dimensions and letters. I know in your videos you do these comedy skits taking off the 16 different personalities from Myers-Briggs and I really recommend the listeners going to have a look and (laughs) scan through because they are so fun. Just, I'm just interested, do you have a drama background? Yeah, I do. So I've done drama since I was young. I was definitely that drama kid in high school. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're very good. You're able to really enter into each of those different 16, uh, I guess, personality types. So my question for you is, can you take us a little bit deeper with with the tool? Um, And I guess how you are presenting those, I guess, on camera, how can that be helpful for people? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to do that. Um, I did anticipate this question, so I've written some notes to make sure that I succinctly get these definitions. Um, I think the most important thing for people to understand is that, in essence, the Myers-Briggs tool uh, uh, says that there are, we all, with our brain, we have different ways of perceiving the world and then judging the world thereafter. And um, it was actually Carl Jung who uh um, in, in the 19, he's a psychiatrist from the, he wrote a book in the 1920s called uh, Psychological Types. He came up with these eight cognitive functions, which are basically four ways of, um, uh, ex- four ways of perceiving the world, four ways of judging the world, four different tools for each of those. And he said that four of them are extra, four of those different functions are extroverted so they take place in the external world they rely on external feedback and then four of those are introverted so they unfold within the interior life so those are the eight different cognitive functions and um you've got you've got the four extroverted ones extroverted thinking extroverted feeling extroverted sensing extroverted intuition and then the four introverted ones which are introverted feeling introverted thinking introverted sensing introverted intuition and they, they are uh, put together as these eight cognitive functions to basically, um, basically as a means of sorting out the ways in which people perceive different situations internally and then judge them again internally in the world or within themselves, um, which I'm going to get into in a second, which can present as different behavior. But the important thing to understand is that this, this tool does not definitively dictate what behavior people are going to have, um, which is, you know, you can have, you can have all 16 of these people who would, um, the classic example I use, would help a a lady at the grocery store who has dropped her groceries. So a lady might drop her groceries. You might have all 16 of these types go and help her, but they're all, what's going on inside their brain to get there is different. One might be like, the right thing to do is going to help her. Another might be like, oh, I want others to see me helping this girl. Another might be like, oh, I feel empathy for this woman. I'm going to go help her. Or another might be, oh, a person to talk to. And then another might be like, oh, she's wearing an ACDC shirt. I'm going to go approach her. Right. Like the way the mental steps that we take to get there are all different, even though the behavior is the same. So it's not necessarily behavior. Um, Now, these eight cognitive functions uh, line up for each type in a stack, what we call a stack of four different slots. Your first two are the ones that you use most of the time. So they're your natural strengths in your personality, your cognitive 
functions. And then your last two are the ones that you use less of the time, specifically your inferior function or your fourth function is the one that is less developed that um, would point to certain blind spots or weaknesses that you have that um, as you grow up, you integrate those four to be more holistic. And as you were saying, Karen, you were saying as you've grown up, you've become more of an introvert. That could be because you're using an extroverted function dominantly, but as you've grown up with your life experience and all that you've learned, you've integrated those lower introverted functions, um, which is something that I can relate to as well. Um, so the way in which those four functions line up in your stack dictate what personality type you have. And so the, the four letter code that you get, the four letters that you get when you take those um, those online tests uh, uh, are a means of decoding the order of your cognitive functions. And again, each person uses, so you have those two letters, you have either an E or an I, then you have an S or an N, and then you have a T or an F, and then you have a J or a P. Those middle four letters, S, N, F, and T, all, you use all four of those in your cognitive function stack. That's a really important part of learning about Myers-Briggs is that it's not just a dichotomy of you're either a thinker or a feeler. You're either a sensor or an intuitor. That's why a lot of people don't really think it's a helpful tool because they're like, what does it even mean to be a sensor? What does it even mean to be an intuitor? I have feelings too. <laughs> I, I'm not just a thinker. Of course I have feelings. What's good about understanding the cognitive functions behind this, um, which again came from Carl Jung back in the 1920s and many psychologists have since expanded on it um yeah so um yeah what's good about that is that understanding they're not dichotomies they're just a preference they're cognitive preferences that you jump to first and foremost before you jump to the other one so this might explain why you have a friend in your life who's more um generally more abstract minded and loves to focus on these patterns that are in the abstract and then a friend who's way more pragmatic and it focuses on the tangible and says, no, that abstract stuff isn't relevant. Cognitive functions can explain those differences in personality tendencies. As well, you might have a person who's more emotional, who result, who feels their feelings immediately and quickly and is able to understand the nuance behind their feelings as opposed to someone who responds more rationally, logically, and then the feelings come through later um, or are slower to feel their feelings and understand their feelings. The cognitive function preferences explain that like maybe this person was using a feeling preference and that person was using a thinking preference but they're all capable of using all the preferences um so that's the first thing to understand i'll just quickly go into a definition of each of the functions yeah um because i think that's helpful to understand yeah. um so you've got your judging functions uh which are thinking and feeling um so these are based on ex so they're extroverted uh sorry you've got four different judging functions extroverted thinking, extroverted feeling, introverted thinking, introverted feeling. So based on whether they are extroverted or introverted, that makes a huge difference. Extroverted functions are based on external feedback. They take place in the external world, interacting with the external world. They're generally more, we use the word objective. So extroverted thinking is um, a judging function that judges external reality based on functionality, objectively obvious facts and data, making decisions based on what works in the immediate external environment. So that's, they're, they're making their judgments based on functionality primarily. Extroverted feeling judges external reality based on other people. So the emotional state of the tribe, how the tribe is feeling, the consensus of the group, harmony comes first. So even these differences, extroverted thinking based on judging things, functionality based. So they see the world based on what works for function. Then the extroverted feeling sees the world based on the tribe, the emotional state, the harmony. Mm -hmm. Even this huge difference, you will see how 
those two types will present very differently. Our extroverted thinkers are ENTJs and ESTJs. That's their first function. And then you have ENFJs, ESFJs who use extroverted feeling first. They are both extroverts, but they present night and day differently because you've got these, these TE extroverted thinker doms who are dominant types who are like, this is how things work. This is how we're going to get them done. And extroverted feelers who are like, no, like harmony. We have to, whatever the tribe wants, like yes. stop try, stop being so Im like imposing things on people. And so even though they're, they're both extroverted types, all four of those, they're extroverts, right? They're getting their energy from completely different sources. The thinkers are getting it from the objective systems that work in the environment and the feelers are getting it from the tribe and the emotional state there huge difference there already it's funny as you're sharing that I just had this flashback to it was many years ago with a friend and we we did something for her and I was like isn't that amazing like this is beautiful and other people came in and she's like that's really great thank you <laughs> and I was like don't you, like don't you feel like isn't this beautiful yes <laughs> that's like, so classic don't you like it she's like oh no, I like it. It's lovely. Thank you. <laughs> and I was like, it's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. It's so clear. Like when someone's a dominant extroverted feeler, they're so like, hey guys, how are you? So expressive in their face. It's just so clear when that's like a thing. And like, um, they're just like, nothing goes at the expense of the harmony of the tribe. Harmony comes first. Harmony, harmony, harmony. As opposed to extroverted thinkers who are like, harmony, what? No, getting things done, whatever works. Like, you Absolutely. know it's funny when we um Jonathan and I started a business many years ago we do resources for schools so we'd have to go in and meet with um heads of education and all of this so we didn't have children at the time we go into these meetings and I'd be like getting so frustrated with him because <sighs> I was just and I think it also has to do sometimes with your place in the family like mm. eldest child middle child like there's so many factors that come into the equation whereas I'm an eldest of four children mm. And Jonathan was essentially a youngest boy, three boys. So it was funny in these meetings, I'd be like, we need to get to the point. We're just, yes, business done, let's go. And he would just go on these random tangents. And I'd be like, <laughs> what has that got to do with anything? And somehow yes. we bring it back to it. But yes, so funny, just these I differences. I love that. Yes. Such differences, yeah. Um, so those are the extroverted yes. judging functions. So again, you're, you're taking those judgments and implementing them into the external reality somehow. Um, so if you're using an extroverted judging function in either of your first two dominant functions, you will be a J type because the J types are the ones who use a judging function in an extroverted attitude. The introverted judges won't be a J type because they're making their judgments internally. It's not affecting the tribe or the world. So that's why the J's are like the more organized bossy types because their judgments are being immediately inflicted on their environment. Mm -hmm. So that's a key thing to understand. Now to talk about the introverted functions, the introverted judging functions. So this thinking feeling, but how they manifest very differently. So introverted thinking. Um, so just with the, with, the, with the difference between extroverted functions and introverted functions, introverted are where extroverted is based on like objective, objective, observable, external feedback. Introverted is more internal, subjective, based on the personal experience. They're more high stakes because there's some kind of attachment to them um, for, the, for the subject. Okay, so you've got introverted thinking. So this judges based on the subject, so the person's personal logic. So their rules and protocols about what about the world and what makes sense to them. So it's not about what makes sense for the external world or for the tribe. It's about what makes sense to them. So they'll be the type that are like, okay, you're presenting me the facts and data that work outside here, but it's not making sense to me, so I can't accept that. 
Um, introverted feelers, on the other on the other hand, they judge based on the subject's personal values. So what feels right to them. So introverted thinking is what makes sense to them on a logical basis. Introverted feelings about what feels right to them based on their values. So it's not about the feelings of the tribe at all. It's an emotional experience for the subject that is completely detached from the tribe. Mm -hmm. So you see how introverted feeling and extroverted feeling are very different and actually cannot be used together. Mm. So it's actually impossible to naturally prefer both of them at the same level. You have to prefer one because one is about external tribe harmony at the expense of like they wouldn't prioritize their own subjective emotional experience. It's attached to the tribe always. And the other one is always detached from the tribe and based on the self. Um, so even these differences between extroverted and introverted thinking, extroverted and introverted feeling are like huge. And you would have those extroverted feelers and thinkers who would be very bossy, perceived as being very bossy, doing things, getting things done, judgments and external. Introverted judges are actually perceived as like the, the INTPs, ISTPs, um, INFPs and ISFPs. They're perceived as some of the most introverted types because their judging is happening all internally in their own world. Mm -hmm. um, and they operate on an axis. So if you're using extroverted feeling, you'll use introverted thinking later in your stack. And if you're using extroverted thinking, you're using introverted feeling later in your stack because they operate on the axis like that. Because if you're, if you're operating based on functionality in the external, you're using your feelings to judge that or what feels right to you. You can't use the feeling as the, as the judging external function because you're judging it internally. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Good. It's really, it's very interesting to hear it broken down in that way. I haven't yeah. heard like that before. So it's quite insightful. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's very important. So, I mean, and then, and then you will have people who say, okay, because you use a thinking function first, right? If you've got extroverted thinking or introverted thinking first, you're both thinking types, right? You must be similar. No, could not be more different. Yeah. So these types are so extroverted, ENTJs and ESTJs, extroverted, very like, let's make things happen. Introverted thinkers are just, you won't like they're, they're in my videos, they're always the types that talk the least. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. No, sorry. I was interested in how you come up with each of your different scenarios. Yeah. So I, I come up with the scenarios based on the, based on the, um, the specific order in which the cognitive okay. functions line up for each of the, the, the types. Okay. So you're using your dominant function, but then your auxiliary function as well. So the combination of those two is how I perceive. I mean, you could probably even think of a thousand different scenarios just based on what I've just said that would present in a workplace. Absolutely. So I just look at extroverted thinking as a function, extroverted feeling as a function. What would the misunderstandings be? Well, we need to get this thing done. No, what about the people like that? <laughs> Already there's so many misunderstandings that could happen there, right? Um, but I'll just explain the, the um, perceiving functions now. So those are for judging functions. So the way in which you're making judgments, again, could be external, could be internal. Now we've got the perceiving functions. So, so this is how you take in information. You're taking it in before you judge it thereafter. So again, if you're using an extroverted function to perceive the world, uh, you are using a, in your first two functions, if you're using an extroverted function to perceive the world, you're using an introverted judging function. So that's, these are your P types. So anyone who has a P, it means that their first extroverted function is a perceiving one. So they will want more chill, go with the flow because their interaction with the external world is just perceiving, not judging. So they seem like way less rigid 
should, these are what should, these things should happen, which is a very J thing because it's judging, right? Okay, so you've got extroverted sensing, which is, again, an extroverted perceiving function, sensing, which means it's based on sense data, tangible reality. So extroverted extroverted senses perceive reality based on what can objectively be experienced with the five senses. Again, we all use the five senses, but this is their preference, what they're going to. They take in what they can see, but again, because it's based on external feedback, it's not in any personal way. So they are exploring the sense data that they are gathering, playing with it, and then disregarding it. They're not storing it away anywhere unless their introverted judging function judges that the experience is valuable to them in some way. So my first function is extroverted sensing. So I'm constantly about like, I'm just going to have fun, do this thing, like experiment with this experience and just be like the life of the party, be the performer, the entertainer, whatever. And then, but the amount, I hardly, I don't store it anywhere. I'm just kind of playing with it, having fun with it. And then these are stereotypical, like your adrenaline junkies, the people who like are a bit like wild or whatever. Yeah. And I'm not really storing it away unless I decide that it's it's important for my judging function, with it, which is introverted feeling, which is my second function. So that's my judging tool. If I'm like, oh, that was an important experience for my sense of value or my sense of self, I'll like put value on it. Otherwise, I'm not storing it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Now, extroverted intuition is the other. Uh, so just to clarify, with extroverted sensing, those types of ESFP, ESTP use it as their first function, and ISFP and ISTP use it as their second function. Now, with extroverted intuition, that is, again, a perceiving function, uh, and it does exactly the same thing as extroverted sensing, but instead with patterns and ideas in the abstract. So they naturally see and take in objective patterns and connections between things in an abstract way, but not in a personal way. So just as just as I said, extroverted sensing was playing with data, sense data, they play with ideas as they come and then disregard them. So they're not storing those anywhere personal unless again their introverted judging function judges that the idea is valuable to them in some way Mm -hmm. so again even that difference you'll have um like esfps and enfps who both use extroverted sensing extroverted intuition they would present very similar in a party situation because they're just like about experiencing gathering exploring in like a chaotic manner they just want to play with it and then disregard it but it's very different because like my sister's an enfp i'm an esfp and we just she's just constantly like the abstract the idea what could be the possibilities and i'm like but what about what's real it doesn't make (laughs) sense with this what's the actual facts like the data the reality that we've got um so and again problems in your relationship growing up do you think looking back it did it did she will confess like the amount of time she would be like we should do this thing and then I was like okay and then like later I'd be like what are we doing this thing and she's like oh oh like oh yeah we'll do it one day but to her the joy and the energy comes from literally just exploring that possibility and idea me it comes from doing that's a huge difference so yeah that was our key thing but I guess um I get along really well with my sister I would say that's probably like the main difference but again so you've got extroverted sensing extroverted intuition which are also extroverted functions so if you're using those as your first function you will present as an e type you'll have an e in your letter in your four letter code but so will extroverted thinkers and extroverted feelers all four of you are e types but all, but you're getting energy from completely different sources. So yeah. to say that so to say that I'm an extrovert and that's how 
just how it is. Like I get my energy from people is so wrong. Like arguably extroverted feelers are the only types who are just getting the energy from people. Extroverted thinkers, yeah, people are part of the functionality and the systems that happen. Extroverted intuitors are like, yeah, I can explore ideas with people. Extroverted sensors are like, I can have experiences with people, but they can also be detached from people in a sense as well. So key misunderstanding. Hmm. And the final two, the final two um, perceiving functions are introverted perceiving. So again, introverted, sorry, introverted sensing and introverted intuition. Um, so, so these will be used with an extroverted judging function. And it's the one that inflicts their judgments on the external world. And then they're perceiving them with their internal, internal world. So introverted sensing, as opposed to extroverted sensing. So extroverted sensing, as I said, is objective. Introverted sensing is subjective. It's about the subject whereas extroverted sensing is about just the world. So it takes in sense data in observable, tangible reality, but stores it away in a subjective database and sorts it in a way that tells them how things should be experienced. So you cannot use both of those things again at the same time because SE, extroverted sensing, explores sense data as it comes without any personal attachment to it in a playful way, in a chaotic way, and then disregards it. Introverted sensing needs to store the sense data in a way that tells them how things should be experienced. So just a quick example, this could be a person who's really particular about how they like their socks folded or really particular about how they're going to like dry their hair or take care of their hair every day. Whereas an extroverted sensor would be like, whatever works, like, um, you know, just feel good. <laughs> this is fine. Like today is an example. I just haven't like, I've, I was excited about this interview, you know, but you know, I just, don't, it's not something that I care about very much is like presenting in this really orderly way that an introverted sensor would care about. Um, yeah. In a, in a should sort of sense. Yeah. So Huge differences there. Um, and then the final one is introverted intuition. So it's so very different from extroverted intuition, whereas extroverted intuition takes in observable, objective, obvious patterns of possibilities in the abstract, which to them would be obvious, to a lot of people wouldn't. Introverted intuition creates its own subjective patterns uh, about what is symbolic or meaningful to them. It creates patterns about what is going to happen in the future and seeks to understand the bigger picture of ideas by fitting all the puzzle pieces until it has a whole picture. So you cannot, again, use both extroverted and introverted intuition at the same time. Extroverted intuition plays with ideas and possibilities without personal attachment to them, then disregards them. Introverted intuition needs to be an extensive deep dive to understand the deeper meaning and the why behind everything. And it's very different from introverted sensing, which is about sense data storage. Introverted intuition is about, it actually doesn't really care about storing the sense data. It's like, whatever the bigger meaning is in the abstract. So you see, I've like kind of touched on how all eight of these functions can't, a lot of them can't be used together. They all operate on an axis with axes with each other. Um, which you can dive into all of this online or you can jump onto my channel and have a look at, I explain some of this in more detail. But now that we've explained this, you can understand why there are 16 types because the combinations, you have, one of the, you have one of those eight as your first, but then another one as your second. One is extroverted, one is introverted. If you use an introverted function first, then you are an introvert because your, your first source of feedback is internal and subjective. If you are an, if you're using an extroverted function first, you are an E-type because it's external based on the external world. So that's why we have the 16 types. Yeah, so good. So insightful. It makes me want to go <laughs> back and have a, a closer look at it all. <laughs> yeah. So this is a real passion of yours. So where is it taking you? Yeah, interesting. So um, I think 
where, where it's taking me, I really enjoy the, the comedy. I love presenting this means of understanding people's in, inherent differences in like a comedic way and these ways that we can misunderstand each other but using introverted feeling as my second function I can't engage in anything unless it's reflecting my values in some way that's really important my personal values so I do hope to take the channel on a trajectory where I'm diving more into a theoretical explanation of those things I'll probably keep the YouTube channels predominantly um, comedy but I'm working on on a podcast at the moment which I'll be releasing soon which goes into the theory of more of these things um yeah, and then obviously working in, um, you know, there's not an overt, obvious faith lens on my channel, but I really do, um, aim, I mean, my channel knows that I'm uh, Catholic. Yeah. I've not been subtle about it. I've got the rosary beads in the background, okay. the crucifix. yeah. Um, <laughs> they know that I'm Catholic, but um, I aim to sort of present these ideas about what we can say is objectively good, true, and beautiful. And these people, these people who watch my videos are interested in self-development and growth in some way, recognize that that's a good thing. And so, um, yeah, I'm really just trying to pr- promote the idea of loving one another in essence on my channel. Yeah, it's so beautiful and so important. I think what you touched on there, you used that word personal development, which I think is so important, but I think can be a little bit misunderstood, particularly in the faith-based area in the Catholic world, that we have, like, I guess, this secular personal development um, and how we tie that in with our Catholic faith. Have you got any thoughts there on how they can work together? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. And I think, you know, we do promote this idea in the secular world of like self-reliance. Um, but I think if people are diving deep enough, even through a secular lens into themselves and their psychology, self-development, which, you know, thankfully our culture is very big on, um, they will eventually get to the point where they realize that life isn't just about the self, it's about people and relationships. People always come to that realization. Um, inevitable. It, it's inevitable. That's what brings fulfillment and joy. And if they are realizing that and that love is the key answer to everything, they are encountering Christ in some way. I've seen, uh, you know, I have a lot of secular friends just because of the journey that I've been on. And, um, you know, I love them. I, I, I think so many of them are such great people. And sometimes when I'm around them, I'm like, I've encountered Christ today more than I would have sometimes in if I'd maybe, you know, other situations where I've spent the day by myself with, you know, other people who are, yeah, exactly. Um, and because, because the human experience, if you're diving deep enough, every human being craves love and to be loved. And if they are loving in some capacity, they are reflecting Christ in that love. And so if we then as Catholics are diving with the lens of Christ, with the lens of the scripture, where like everything we're coming to understand in ourselves when we self-develop and deep dive, we realize things like, okay, why is suffering such an important, like, why do I have to suffer so much to grow? And like, why is suffering seemingly such an important part of the human experience? Why have I, why have I only grown in understanding of myself and others when I've suffered, when I've given of myself, not saying those things are the same, but you know, when I've given of myself, when I outpoured of myself, right? And then you look at it through the lens of scripture and you're like, well, the number one example of love was Jesus Christ who suffered the ultimate you know suffering he is our lens he's our example we unite it to the cross it just effortlessly fits you know when did you first go into this area lockdown the first lockdown I didn't have an outlet for my creative spirit and I decided to make videos um 
and then it was beginning of 2021 when it blew up so yeah fantastic oh well Kristen I wish you all the very best and and look forward to watching your journey unfold and and what you're going to bless people with through this ministry and this passion of yours so thank you so much for joining us thank you so much it's been a pleasure thanks for letting me go into all of that I think it's really important it's beautiful now if people are wanting to find you where can they go to learn more about you and follow your journey Yep. So uh, you can go to my YouTube channel, which is called Dear Kristen, um, or my Instagram page, which is dear.kristen, spelled K-R-I-S-T-I-N. Um, and on my Instagram page, I post, well, I post a lot of stuff, some of my favorite comments from YouTube, but also I'm doing these thing called, things called type trend polls, where I ask a question to my followers and they answer their answer with um with it including their type as well uh, and it'll be something like where do you get your energy or what's the meaning of success to you or where do you get your sense of identity or what causes you pain and then I sort of like collate the answers together and find the trends between all the types and present them so yeah so I've been doing that on Instagram and then yeah keep keep tabs on that if you're interested my podcast will be coming out soon Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kristen. If you'd like to follow her, you can find her at Dear Kristen on her YouTube channel. Ladies, if you've liked what you've heard on this podcast, can I invite you to leave a review on the podcast platform and to share the link with your friends. This helps to promote the work here at The Genius Project. You can also follow us on Instagram, genius underscore project underscore daily. And you can watch the live recordings of these podcasts on the Genius Project YouTube channel. Having explored all of these different personality types and the core challenge that we face as women when we're confronted with our bathroom mirror experiences, when we actually see our flaws up close and personal, that can be a really challenging experience. This process of growing in virtue and growing in beatitude is not necessarily an easy one, but it is an important one if we are going to grow into the fullness of who Christ has created us to be. Ladies, if you're struggling with your bathroom mirror experiences or mindsets that are holding you back, can I invite you to take a look at our Catholic coaching programs for women. Catholic coaching helps you to become a student of your interior life so that you can overcome those areas that are holding you back and step into the fullness of who God has created you to be. If you're interested in discovering more about our Catholic coaching programs, please send me an email, karen at geniusproject.co or register your interest for our coaching brochure on our website, www.geniusproject.co on the coaching page. Until next week, ladies, have a beautiful week and God bless you.